Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Bit of a goal to do that. <laughs> Hi everyone and welcome to episode 3 of Duncan and Duncan. Uh, once again, name to be confirmed, we're still working on that. We have had a suggestion from this week's guest of Stumpy and Grumpy. I'm quite keen on it, the, the Grumpy of the duo. Uh, we can put it to a Twitter poll, whoever uh, people can respond in yay or nay. Yeah, that might be a good idea actually. Uh, I'm your host as always, Duncan Casey. I'm joined by my delightful co-host Duncan Williams. Duncan, how are you this week? Very good, very good. And we're very happy to have in studio... One of our best pals, uh, Mike Sherry, who was recently retired. Um, we were getting a bit of stick about this being a recently retired kind of support group. Uh, Ball said that it's like <laughs> Ball Ball, the Monster Masseur said it's, uh, it sounds a bit like an AA. Uh, like an <laughs> no AA. doubt he was surrounded by other Ball people because he likes to... <laughs> exactly. Well, he's, he's very bitter because he lost all his hair in his early 20s, so we forgive him for that. But uh, Mike, how are you? How have you I'm been? Good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, lads. Very like Copy him. and paste this conversation from Mankey's conversation last week. It's a tough act to follow, but yeah. uh, we'll do our best. Uh, yeah, no, I thought he was excellent in fairness. It was quite insightful and enjoyable. I uh, was listening away in bed. Nice little... Uh, sleep, is it? Drift, drift off to sleep. <laughs> really engaging, stimulating <laughs> content. That you no, I, I, I thought it was excellent in fairness. It was, uh, it was brilliant. Well, the issue of durability came up uh, in last week's episode. You were pretty durable, weren't you? Yeah, I uh, I noticed I'm getting called out in a lot of your episodes. I'm getting a lot of mentions. Um, durability, yeah, it was uh, it was something that uh, did mean in the end. It was uh, a consistent theme throughout my career. Um, Just to give people some context, because obviously pe- people, anyone that's followed Munster would know that you had difficulties with injuries, but it was just incredibly bad luck in the sense of what happened. Um, you did your ACL in 2000, late in 2013, and you opted to have a shoulder uh, issue get resolved, and it didn't actually turn out to be as straightforward as you'd hoped. No, it didn't. Uh, you can say that again. Um, yeah, I did my ACL. Uh, I had to get surgery, so I had to wait about three weeks for that to um, the swelling to leave my leg and uh, get it to a place where they could operate. So during those three weeks, I sat down with the physio team and the uh, the strength conditioners, and my shoulder had been at me for a while, um, and I just said, this might be a good window to get it done. So we decided, right, you'll get the knee done, and maybe two weeks later, once you're off the crutches and walking around, we'll get your shoulder done. So went in, got the shoulder done, um, didn't feel great, went through a, a long about a rehab, did a full pre-season and just really wasn't happy. Uh, was doing live scrummaging and just, like you know yourself how much you use your shoulder as a hooker. I was throwing the ball, I was just way off the pace, constantly in pain. We got a new physio in and I just went up to him after one one long day of pre-season training. It was towards the end of pre-season as well and I said, look, I'm just, I'm really struggling here. Uh, can you have a look at this shoulder? And he looked at it and he said, right, we're getting this reviewed again because that's that's not right. Went up, got it reviewed. They had told me my bone graft that they had put in eight months previous had dissolved. They couldn't tell me when it had dissolved. but um, So basically my shoulder was just floating around, uh, bashing off bone for, for the eight months. <laughs> like the noises coming off. I remember I used to get a crowd mm-hmm. around me and like get this crunching noise going and killer would be, that's incredible. What the hell is that? It was like someone walking on snow is, is the way you'd kind of describe mm-hmm. the sound. So... Got a second surgery, got a hip graft from my hip, I'm sorry, a bone graft from my hip put into my shoulder. Um, and again, that was done in late August. And again, I just didn't feel good at all. Um, so I went on a different uh, course of action. I went over to England. I met uh, two different uh, surgeons over there. And I decided to go with um, a guy in London. Um, he was he just had a bit more positivity about what the course of action he'd take. Um 
the first guy was kind of saying, look, you might need to consider retirement or I'll, I'll, I'll happily say you can retire here because your shoulder doesn't look great. Um, so I went to the second fella. He did um, uh, a tidy-up job, essentially. And um, about four or five months after that, I just started testing it a bit more, got a bit more confidence in it, and it got me to a level where I could perform in training and matches. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, no, that's a fair point. Uh, I, I think it's, um, it's worth pointing out that anyone who's gone for an operation knows that there's a small percentage of a risk that it won't go according to plan. But I think as rugby players, I know I certainly up until you had that episode assumed that that was just um, kind of a disclaimer, really, that people told you, yeah. but that it really, really wasn't everyone to be a factor. Like I had seven operations, they all went fine. Mm. I remember I had had, uh, I think both my shoulders done, or one of my shoulders done, and a couple of ankle ops done by the time that you had gone in for that shoulder up and you know everything went pretty swimmingly and I had no issues with it and then that was the first time that I saw oh god things can actually go wrong that are really out of your control and it has nothing to do with how well prepared you are Um, it's just one of those freak things that you know a graft doesn't take a graft dissolves did they elaborate on what that means exactly or how how that happens essentially the graft it's called a latter day surgery so essentially the the bone graft acts as a block from the shoulder popping out and um it obviously didn't knit with the existing bone so it was floating around and then it, it, it dissolves within the blood in the system or something like that so um, that happened the first one the second one it didn't dissolve but it just didn't do what it was supposed to do the third one as I said was a patch-up job uh, got me to a certain level I got a good season out of it 15-16 uh, in terms of uh, I was functioning quite well then I went into the 16-17 season which was Razzy Erasmus and Jacques' first year and got to week five of preseason and I was genuinely flying it I'd never felt fitter uh, because I'd been out for so long with the shoulder and I got a full season um, of being available for selection it wasn't the most enjoyable season from a performance point of view for the team but for me personally it was great I'd be back playing, <clears throat> playing rugby which I didn't think I'd be able to do at one stage so went away in the off season trained the whole time came back in for preseason, felt really fit and then it came to week five um, so that would have been probably the start of August 2016 I just uh, felt a crack in my back when we were doing some some session and I continued on for the next 10 minutes we had it like a, a week and a half break after it was do you know that where you get to half yeah. a week five and they give you a download week after so the, the day Razzie says I know you're going to be sore <coughs> I want yeah. you to just push through it there's a break coming so yeah that was exactly just it get through it and that's all the one day then that you actually yeah. just do it and it's so I turned and I felt a crack in my lower back. Um, I said, that, that's not right. But I just kept going for the last 10 minutes, whatever. And then over the next couple of days, I developed severe sciatic pain. I don't know if you've ever had that. It's Not you, bad sciatic pain. I've had back issues, but never... You've had sciatic pain. I had it from when I tore my hamstring off the bone, yeah. The, yeah. the bleeding so on my nerve, yeah. Was that was there. Horrendous. It was chronic for like 10 days. So is that going the whole way down your legs? The whole way down my left leg. Left leg. And... Um, went to the physios they sent me up for an epidural got the epidural which got rid of the sciatic pain but I lost complete function of my left leg like my foot was flapping my calf wouldn't work my glute wouldn't work um, and they said that's really concerning so that's quite unusual for yeah. like standard sciatic pain isn't yeah, it yeah completely so um, I then went in for a discectomy it's called they shave off the disc to um, create a bit of space for the nerve function to so just to give people a bit of context, so the, there's there's a bulge in the disc and yeah. that's pressing on the nerve. Yeah. That's what's causing the pain to shoot down. The epidural numbed the pain, but you lost you lost. Um, your, I remember like you you weren't able to activate your muscles essentially. No. Like you weren't able to like. Uh, I suppose the best way to describe it is like. Um, could do a cat phrase, doesn't it? Could no, I spent the full the full year yeah. after that with my one my index finger in my left hand on a windowsill over in the corner trying to get to like ten calf raises, twelve calf raises, but my my calf just blew out after like three. It was so hard to, to lift myself up off the ground. So they wouldn't actually allow me to start running until I could get to a certain level of strength. So I was just over in the corner doing these calf raises, like losing my head, coming in day after day after day. And I got to like maybe February. And I had the surgery in um, early August. And I was like, what is going on here? I'm only just after getting back after two years out with my shoulder and ACL. 
So again, I just tried something different, worked with the physios in Munster, and uh, we met a guy who had been there for my shoulder. We tried a few new things, got a decent return, and maybe around April, May, I started being able to get to a, a 10 calf raises, 12 calf raises. And then I could start running, and then I started pre-season, ready to go the next year. When you were coming at myself at Dunkerecci, you just kind of talk about what we'd actually chat about, but you said there that you were, used to be in the corner, like a bag of misery, doing things, but I would say to Dunk, like, I remember we used to come in, Obviously, it was Razzie's first season. We were winning the majority of the games. So it was easy for you to be, like, depressed off your head. Obviously, we weren't going well with the injury. You weren't contributing to the team that were winning all these games. But to be fair to you, we used to come in in the morning. You were always life and soul to play. It's always a good bit of crack. Was that something that you put in your own head to, to be like that? Or was it just, just the way you were in general? Uh, well, there was definitely days that I was not in the form to be in there. Like the, We had just moved into the new centre, the HPC, mm. and I only had bad thoughts and impressions of this place because I was coming in every day. And as you say, you were having the season of your lives. The whole Axel thing happened, and you had a very real way of, I don't know, expressing yourselves or showing how much Axel mm. meant to you. And I had had Axel for years as well, and he had meant a lot to me, and I was just kind of in the corner doing calf raises I didn't get a, a chance to be involved in that Glasgow game and all the great games you had that year and it was really hard I remember a couple of lads text me saying we can see you're struggling but I did make a conscious effort to not be a drain to I don't know other people you've had loads of injuries you've had loads of, every single player in the squad has injuries so I just I tried really hard not to bring people down not to make my problems bigger than the team and I'm glad that you know you think that I was in good form every day. I obviously fooled you. Um, but that's like, <laughs> especially when things are going well on the pitch, it's easy for lads to forget about someone like you who is struggling that much. Did mm. you find that lads actually made a conscious effort to still like keep involved? Or it, it's it's very easy when you're injured to be the victim and kind of mm. sit back and go, he's forgotten about me. Or, yeah, blah blah blah. But I just realise in time that when I'm fit and I'm playing the team, I forget about lads that are injured it's just the natural way yeah. of it happening and every now and again you go all right I better check in with this guy it just happens so when I was out on my shoulder I was kind of a bit of a victim kind of thinking right the lads are off they've forgotten about me but I was old enough and experienced enough when I was out on my back and leg um, combination that I knew lads weren't doing it purposefully yeah. it's just it's just a part of it and yeah. you had a good sense. outlook on as I said the injury do you remember we used to be comparing your arse cheeks yeah <laughs> weekly <laughs> Yeah, uh, like, as I said, I lost function in my calf and my glute, my left glute, and uh, it just completely withered away. It was like, genuinely like a wet bag <laughs> hanging off my body. And I I remember I went into the shower, and uh, it was the first time we kind of had a change in room and a bit of banter around the place. And yeah, everyone, everyone was in the same place. Everyone was in the same yeah. place. Like Before, you used to be hanging around the corridors and getting showers underneath the track. Yeah. And Bags all. everywhere else. But yeah, it was yeah, a weird ever. setup. I don't know how the lads did it for so long, but... So we had our own changing room, we were a bit of crack and everything else. And I was going into the, the showers one day and everyone was roaring, laughing at me. And I was like, God, am I in that bad of shape? And I was kind of looking at myself in the mirror and I was like, no, no, I still got it. And then I turned around, I just saw my arse cheek. I was like, oh my God, it was, a f it was flat and kind of hanging down. So I, I'd lost every last bit of muscle in it. So I honestly didn't shower in there for like two or three weeks after. I was going, no way, am I, fucking, am I doing this? So... Eventually, I got over it, and it was just a bit yeah. of uh, a bit of um, embarrassment about it. But sure, it came back, and I've had great glutes now. <laughs> <laughs> how, how how did it actually come back? It was it was it just one day where things started to fire a bit better? No, I didn't have like a. I think I heard Keen Healy had issues in his fingers, and he went away on holidays, and he kind of felt a twitch in his hand, which gave him hope. But I didn't have one of those kind of moments. I just. Um, just stuck with it like it was it was genuinely the hardest like the shoulder was really hard because I was out for a long period but this was just like a, another kick to me when I was down or not down but I just come back and I was getting no progression as I said my muscles had just withered away over in the corner doing my doing my three calf raises a day so I just stuck with it we tried something new after Christmas and kept coming in kept sticking with it and eventually I just saw a little bit again day by day by day and then started running and from there it just kind of flowed a lot better the resilience that like it's particularly admirable the fact that you came back from those two massive setbacks because with your shoulder i think it was 600 days between games is it something over 600 days yeah between when you got injured i mean like yeah. that's that's uh that's a frightening figure yeah. 
So to go through essentially two years without playing rugby, then to come back for a season and then to miss a full season again after mm. that, uh, like I know it's easy, as you said, to play the victim and look at the end of the day we're, we were professional athletes so even when we weren't injured we were earning a living by doing kind of stuff related to rugby mm. but when you're injured for a prolonged period of time you like and particularly in that successful season after Axel passed away or as his first season uh, we used to talk about it because I, I was injured as well for the bulk of that yeah. season and uh <clears throat> ordinarily we we would go to a home game and Thoman Park would be up in the box with the partners the people that weren't involved or the people that were injured and we would go down to the dressing room afterwards and the big European days where you're having massive wins at home and you're coming into the change room after you're congratulating the lads when you come when they come back in and you really want to feel like you've contributed to it and of mm. course everyone would say and the coaches would always acknowledge the greater squad mm. because and there is a role that you do play in preparing the team for the weekend but you're so close to feeling the sensation of being part of a massive occasion like that but you just don't feel it and I would often I'm sure you were the same you'd often like be in a hurry to get out of there and you'd be like God Jesus like so close but so far Mm. Uh, so the fact that you did that for essentially three full years out of four and came back and put yourself in a position to play again Mm. is really really admirable uh, I remember even for the if we had away games the, we had obviously had a WhatsApp group for the squad like you were always the first one in to text in do you remember your thing was the best team in the world you should send in the emoji of the globe every time yeah, um, yeah like the, that was the last two years when I was fit but I wasn't really fit I was dying of death at my shoulder but um, when I was available for selection they were the years that really tested me because when I was injured you have the kind of you have the cushion of saying right I'm injured they're mm. not they can't pick me but when you're fit and they're not picking you and I was convinced in my own head that I was still the same player and I've had a bit of time to think about it now and it just wasn't like I could train well one day but there's no contact in training mm. like, there's no you're not really in a match situation and then we go over and do units and I've thought about this a lot you know the way when you throw the ball I don't want to get too technical do you know the like, little flick of your hand at the end mm-hmm. to get the spiral I just couldn't do that like, I yeah. lifted my arm up with sore and then actually just getting that flick to get the spiral to get the direction and speed you needed just couldn't do it so I've thrown in wet wellies for two years <laughs> is that where you wait for the end over end throw yeah, in like, great parts, that some of my throws <laughs> some of my throws would genuinely be end over end and all over the shop and it used to be a real strength in my game. And I said, what is going on? Like, so I was doing, what was it? What did you call it? I was doing German, uh, maybe it was told. Like I was doing 10 reps at each spot over and over again to try to get the rhythm of it. And Fly, of course, was keen to facilitate me as any way he could. And I just couldn't get it right. But it definitely tested me in terms of being a positive influence around the squad, yeah. not been involved yet thinking that I should have been involved more so than when I was injured like yeah. when it's said, out of your hands, yeah. of my hands you, you were saying there you didn't feel part of it when you were injured I was the same when Joe when you're not in the 23 and if you go down to the dressing room you're like, you <laughs> like oh, yeah, there was absolutely. seasons there I had Munster won the European Cup I would not have felt part like that I contributed yeah. and that was my own not because of anyone else it's just my own thing it was like yeah you know you're training you're the ducks every every squad session there it was called the non-23 the ducks basically like yeah yeah um but like it was just some days obviously you wanted to win but then you're just like really if they win i don't even yeah. feel part of it it's um so. yeah, it's, it's a bizarre thing and it's kind of hard to communicate or to particularly for lads who are from munster like you obviously support them when we were growing up so you wanted to win but it's just when you're not involved with it, you just couldn't feel less part of it and a lot of it's our own thing it's, it's just i found yeah. that as you said, when you're injured, at least you have a reason. You're kind of, oh, I wasn't picked because I'm injured. But when you're not picked and you're fit, it's just kind of, you still don't. I just, I used to feel, a lot of time I used to feel part of it. Like it was. You feel yeah. useless. Like you're yeah. you're living your dream. You're playing for the, the team you absolutely love, yet you're so mm-hmm. far away from actually being involved. That's right. Yeah. It is a, the detachment. There is a detachment from it. I found that very difficult as well. So ultimately, you. You played a few games when you came back. Um, <laughs> few and far between, yeah. yeah it is. But at least you, you worked hard enough to get yourself in a position to play again. I know you were obviously struggling big time with your shoulder. Um, but you got the opportunity to go to Gloucester at the end of last season. Yeah. 
So tell us a bit about that. How did that come about? Yeah, it came about out of nowhere. Um, as most things do, it just came upon me. Uh, they had a hooker crisis, uh, as most clubs seem to get once a year. Monster <laughs> seem to get it once a year anyway. Um, quite an injury-prone position. But uh, Johan Ackerman and Johan van Graan know each other um, from rugby circles in South Africa. Uh, he rang, inquired about me through my agent, whatever way it worked. And um, then there was a bit of kind of back and forth whether Munster would release me because uh, I think one of the lads was carrying an injury at the time and one more injury and I would have been in the 23. But in fairness to Johan, he said, look, it's the right thing for you in your career. At that time, I was still convincing myself that, yeah, I can get back to a certain level. I can pick up another contract. I need to play rugby. I'm not playing rugby here. So they released me, uh, put me on loan, sorry, for the, the last 10 weeks of the season. So I went over there and... Um, fairness to my wife uh, Katie she was uh, at home with the two kids and she gave me her blessing to head over um, for the 10 weeks or whatever it was to, to try to resurrect my career um, went over lived with uh, Gigi Garbant Grabler um, mm. which was good it was nice to have someone that I knew and get integrated into the, the group over there and yeah, he remains a my knee in his face he's <laughs> washed off that his massive knees when did that happen uh, March <laughs> yeah <laughs> Splat right onto his knee. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll text him after. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he had an apartment right in the middle of Cheltenham. The club was was class. They have a lovely training facility just outside Gloucester. Um, it's it, it's different. It is definitely is different to Munster. Uh, it was more relaxed. Like there was very few meetings, uh, reviews, previews. I learned a lot though. Um, uh, Cipriani was the the kind of fulcrum of the team in attack and the shape he ran the lines he wanted forwards running and um, he was definitely an eye opener in terms of that like he's a master of that type of stuff mm. you know he wouldn't wouldn't tackle to save his life or anything on, along those lines but in terms of attack like he's a genius his defensive frailties are probably what holds him back with England but um, I really enjoyed it I really enjoyed the type of training they did. Uh, Ackerman was obsessed with wrestling and all that kind of stuff and yeah. wasn't ideal for me <laughs> physically but I really did enjoy it I dug in uh, I knew it was only 10 weeks I knew I was there to try to resurrect my career and uh, I loved it I must say I really did enjoy it I, le I left you actually. wilting away in the corner yeah yeah so basically both of you were gone so I was just sitting in the corner playing yeah. keep you up with myself because we weren't allowed make, in the meetings make it keep you we weren't allowed in the meetings so yeah, it was it was uh, nerve wracking leaving Munster because like I'd yeah. gone from school into the academy into the senior setup, so I'd, it was all I knew. I absolutely loved it. Like when I was leaving, I remember saying to you, like I'm more myself in the Munster changing room sometimes than I am at home. Like mm. it was completely my home, my living room. So going over there and being really quiet for ten weeks was uh, was uh, a struggle. <laughs> I kind of kept to myself. I came out of my shell a little bit, but they didn't uh, didn't get to know me properly. But um, what was that like actually? Because you obviously right through school you ended up moving into like you would have played underage on a team with say like Stephen Archer John Ryan was on that team as well yeah well Killer. Yeah, John was in fat club but yeah <laughs> Dave Foley Ian Nagel uh, Kieran Essex Declan Cusack Scott Sean Scanlon Scott DCL yeah. like a load of people who went on to be involved in the Munster setup, and you would have known guys from different schools as well so you, it was probably your first time going into a completely new environment. Yeah. Like you grew up in Limerick, with a school in Limerick, once you were based in Limerick. So how did you find that as, well, what age have you went to over, 30? I was 30, yeah. Yeah, yeah. As, uh, as, as the first time for that to happen as a 30-year-old, uh, what was that like? Yeah, it was challenging. And, and the fact that I had two kids at home, wife, two dogs, I was leaving her um, with a lot of work to do at home. So I was living, living over delighted. there in Shelton. She was delighted, yeah. I was going around <laughs> drinking coffees during the day. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're training. Um, so yeah, it definitely was nerve wracking. Like even standing up in front of the team and telling them a little bit about oh, myself. Like I'd yeah, never done yeah, terrifying. that really because I just developed through the stages and everyone knew me. And I think I'd sang once at the top of the bus on my first cap for Munster and never again. And then I was the fellow at the back of the bus screaming at lads to get up and sing. <laughs> um, so even all that type of stuff was uh, was completely new to me. But uh, they were a great group of lads. They were competing for the Premiership. Um, King's Home is a savage stadium to play mm. in. Um, weather was lovely at that time of the year. Uh, as I said, the training was really enjoyable. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was really happy that I got to do that uh, towards the end of my career. And it is something I'm very grateful that I had the opportunity. I know you say you didn't get that. So I am grateful that that was uh, made available to me. And 
I think I'm, I gave a decent account of myself over there. Did that give you a new lease of life in terms of your attitude? Because, um, no, as you said, like it's difficult to keep motivated when you're not involved each week. But the fact of being around the 23 and being involved every week, did you, during your time there, were you like, I, I want to do this for as long as possible. I want to keep doing this. Yeah, massively. Even like uh, I got told after maybe, I was there for 10 weeks and maybe after seven or eight weeks, uh, David Humphreys through my agent told me, look, they weren't going to uh, re-sign me for next year. Thanks for everything, blah, blah, blah. So even even when that happened, I was like, right, this has been brilliant. I've been involved with a, with a squad playing high-level rugby, gone relatively well. Now I'll start uh, really looking at the market properly. So it definitely reinvigorated me to try um, keep my career going. But um, it's funny, like I know uh, <laughs> we were joking, and I was in the I was in the position previously. We were joking about how the two E were sending texts to to all the same people, oh, yeah. Saying, yeah. <laughs> looking for clubs. Two yeah. bumbling like, morons. When you're yeah. kind of when you're d- desperate times call for desperate measures, and you're you're pretty much going through your phone book uh yeah. try to tap up everyone regardless yeah. of whether you actually know them or not <laughs> yeah it did get fairly uh, shameless right there at one point <laughs> yeah like uh, it didn't it didn't like what what did you have to do, do it, it, well, like, it's yeah. very normal and that's the thing is uh, i think people outside maybe assume that because rugby is such a professional sport now that everything goes through proper channels and everything else but like at its core it remains very much a word of mouth thing a lot mm-hmm. of the time that's how i got into france like <laughs> like, I, like i've spoken about before i've just chanced my arm Messaging Bernard Jackman, who I'd never spoken to in my life. <laughs> and then, lo and behold, 10 days later, I was in France and ended up spending 18 great months there. Yeah. So uh, it, it's a lot more common than people think the word yeah. about thing. Like, as I said, it, like agents, like they have a lot of clients, a lot of co- out of contract at the same time. So I think still in your own hands, some, sometimes you nearly just got to go and try and dig up any number you can get, text that person, look for a job, ring them try and get a, a club like I think well, I think for any players who are looking relying on rage and I think my advice would be that don't be afraid to make those calls yourself definitely and it's quite it is a ballsy thing to do and especially when you're younger but Donnick Ryan was quite famous for he only I think he only did business with an agent for the first time when he was in his late 20s more or less and he was well known for picking up the phone and getting a coach's number and ringing him and saying would you be interested even if it's to start the rumour and get more money back home like this <laughs> yeah, exactly. do you know what I mean exactly. it, it shows initiative and uh, yeah. it wasn't like give me a job it was like look I'm out of contract here um, would love to keep playing rugby if you think there's any yeah. good fit in your place or another coach who might be looking for a hooker keep me in mind so it's like it's just getting your name out there it's it, I mean when I spoke to was very I suppose receptive and very like yeah, they appreciated they were, so, and yeah. they, were, they were very nice like so it's I suppose what rugby is about, you know, it's kind of a, not a big family, but it's kind of got that culture of everyone looks out for each other, and I think uh, that kind of showed it to me anyway. Yeah, it's funny the rumor mill that was just touched on there. How did you like <laughs> the cartwheels that people do every couple of years? It used to be he slip was the big one. <laughs> yeah. Every second year without fail, like like back page headlines all yeah. over the place. He slip spotted in Toulon. We were saying upset for Toulon move. We was always saying Donna Corrine, we get a taxi up to the Cork Airport, put on a beret, and just come back out, <laughs> go into the parts, come back out to your rivals, and have a few people make sure that people saw him. It was a, it was an awkward summer to be looking for a club as well because yeah. with the World Cup the season was starting later so clubs knew that they had a little bit more time to kind of assess the market and the longer it went on the more desperate we'd be yeah. there, scrambling <laughs> trying to get a contract we'd take anything so it kind of got to July-ish and I sat down with Katie and I said look I can wait around here until August, September <clears throat> train away or else I can make the decision to uh, walk away uh, get my body sorted over the summer get healthy for the kids for life after rugby and um, just move on after living the dream for 10 years whatever which is how I'd classify it uh, despite all the injuries and all that kind of stuff so just that was the course action we decided to do and I'm very happy that I decided to do that so we'll go a bit of positivity about your career yeah, anyway. gosh, so, yeah. so you broke what year did you break in was it 2009 uh, did you make your debut together 2010 against Connacht no 2009 9 against Connacht uh, yeah. Stevens night 2009 yeah. absolutely lashing around I was dying sick with the flu I was yeah. one of those I was like oh god I hope I can get more than 20 minutes <laughs> I was never going to get more than 20 I only got about 10 <laughs> so yeah I made my debut that year I think I made two or three appearances that year and then the following year was the it really took a by storm the following year I think you uh, kind of in terms of on the field and crack I think 
the senior players really took to you straight away. Um, but it, it, was that the year Fla was injured with his, with his calf, was it? Fla was injured. And so you got a lot Fox. of game time. Yeah. So it was me and Varls, essentially, mm. were the only two. And um, Oh, so you were still in the academy at that stage, yeah, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I got loads of game time that year. I absolutely loved yeah, it. I remember the European uh, Cup, yeah, you had a few, a few great games. Uh, we won the league. Um, we played Leinster, uh, who were still hungover after the, the comeback against Northampton the week before. So we played them in Thumb Park <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, I still look back on that season and go like that was the. I have a regret thinking that was the pinnacle of my career, and I would have loved to have kicked on, uh, for various different reasons. It didn't happen um, at international level and all that kind of stuff. But I still look back on that year and go, it was such good fun. Broke breaking on with Mur, yourself, you were all there as well. Uh, you, were the, you were involved in that Australia game as well, weren't you? Yeah, twenty ten. Yeah. Um, it was a good night. Good night, yeah, great night. Um, so yeah, it was really fun times and. Uh, look back in the fondly best memory oh I just think getting that push over Troy in 2011 uh, th- at the time I thought it was John Hayes' last game he, he uh, played for another half a year because he did the World Cup training squad and, and they kept throwing loads of cash at him so yeah <laughs> but at the time I thought it was his last game I was packing down with himself and Marcus and Dunners and Paulie and Wally and Leams and Quinny and all these lads that I'd watched growing up and there I was right in the middle of it having a push over try to finish out the game in, in a league final against Leinster and uh, in my first proper year uh, with the squad so that's definitely one that sticks out for me and one I I, um, I remember very vividly The uh, you, you ended up at the in 2011 you ended up being called down to the World Cup <laughs> you didn't you didn't end up uh, playing but he was loaded into the group by the to stay yeah, by himself still, still uh, people come up and ask me that were you in a separate hotel uh, <laughs> So yeah, uh, Fla got hurt again, his calf, and I think Varles went out for him, and then Rory Best hurt his shoulder, his AC joint, uh, in the last pool game, um, so they, they rang me, flew me out, and he was still very much 50-50, so if he had pulled out, it would have been Cronin, Varles, and then I would have been uh, there in the squad, but as it stood, they were still questioning whether Best could make it or not, so I was like... Th- 32nd man so yeah I went I went and I was in the hotel with everyone and uh, I was in fact in the same hotel as the lads I wasn't in a separate <laughs> hotel across the road waving over uh, I arrived two days before the, the Wales semi-final or quarter-final uh, which they lost so I was over like it didn't really you were seen as a jinx basically yeah basically so we went on the piss for two or three days and I flew back home and I was still jet-lagged and hung over and I played with Gary Owen that weekend stupidly and I did my uh what to do my syndesmosis my ankle so that was the start of, <laughs> start of the end but uh, or, I remember wasn't it? <laughs> everyone was applauding you for uh, for lining out for the club oh what a club off. man he's a legend <laughs> yeah <laughs> learnt my lesson I went, like I remember I was in I was in the 24-7 Tesco up the road at like f- 4 or 5 in the morning like, my body clock was all over the shop that week when I arrived back so I shouldn't have played but it was uh, stupid out of me to incredible rugby at the moment another mm. big impact at the weekend um, I speak from a technical point of view uh, what, what is it that's making Killer such a dominant scrummager at the moment versus someone like Healy who has been under pressure the last couple of weeks I think with Killer there was a stage where his side of the scrum was a little bit messy and right, rightly or wrongly the 50-50 calls were kind of going against him at one stage or their scrums be resetting and I think a coach had a word with him or he had a word with himself to kind of tidy that up and now he's just rock solid he knows when to attack and he's picking his times really well I think the work you would know this as well the work we did with Flower over the last three or four years in terms of the scrum conditioning and it's made all of us way better scrummagers way better way more uh, capable of holding our shape letting pressure come on to you building your own pressure and then spotting the gaps And uh, I think it's hard for props as well I think that like refs can get a perception in their head or like the media obviously writes off people get a perception in their head that oh he's not a good scrummager or whatever this and that so then obviously half the time you wonder the refs know what they're actually refing so if something goes down it's kind of easy to penalise the guy yeah. who they have the perception about so I think maybe Killer has fallen victim to that a few times over the years yeah definitely and uh, refs are only human so that type of stuff does have an impact uh, 
he's just really tidied up his scrummaging. He's like he's freakishly strong, so he's able to uh, spot those opportunities and take advantage of them. And he seems to be on the right side of those calls at the minute, which is great. And mm. it, it's given the coaches more confidence. And he's now coming on really early in these games, even though Keane Healy is an absolute monster and he's there for ten years. He's closing in on a hundred caps, but Killer is a really viable option now to either start or come on early. In but games. every team now is like it's fifty thirty, nearly fifty thirty forty five, thirty five. Like yeah. I think Ireland were like Munster were particularly slow to adapt. I remember Saracens used to always do fifty thirty. Leinster used to always do it. Um, like it's fairly heavy going in the front row. Like to say nowadays to play more than fifty minutes as a tight head or loose head is is fairly, fairly heavy enough, going. Yeah. Like. A, yeah, yeah and even a hooker uh, to a large extent as well I say, I was saying during the game online that um, there must be an equation between like, the amount of jowls a prop has and how <laughs> yeah. the level of scrummaging prowess I think that's definitely, definitely true in Killer's yeah. case but yeah. he has sure shed a few to be fair he isn't good Nick he has shed a few he's in excellent condition yeah, yeah. For, for him, for him. <laughs> let's, let's put a remember he went to rehab but just going to the gym at night and just Posting a selfie and not doing any weight and going home. Yeah, the lads were in this crazy one shape. night and uh, they saw him going into the gym and he said, I'll be in, I'm just doing a session. So he went in, did like three sets of guns and he was into them in five minutes. So, and, and he had the time to put a picture up. Self, yeah. That was his session. What, what was his use of a, a caption, like a line as well? Uh, no pain, no gain, yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Something awful like that. Yeah. The grind. Yeah. I remember, yeah, like, like you touched on uh, the scrum conditioning stuff, um, which I don't think has really been discussed and how, how big of an impact that had on particularly the front rows but we had had a pretty bad season scrummage in the previous year I think it's <laughs> fair pretty bad say. it's pretty kind <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Fla went over to South Africa to I think was it just with the national team he was or was he with a couple of clubs and he was over with Peter de Villiers anyway I think and he was just doing observation and uh, because because the previous year was Flaz, first year as a scrummage coach, couldn't have gone much worse. <laughs> Good reflection. The previous two years, yeah. So uh, something had to something had to give, and I think yeah, we probably thought that we were working very hard, but actually comparing what we had been doing the previous couple of years to what we ended up doing subsequently, we had been doing very little. So uh, Fla came back with basically a like a load of new ideas. So we used to have to do a scrum conditioning is what he called it segment we probably did it twice or three times a week during pre-season yeah, and, then, and then every Monday um, after the Monday session throughout the season and it was basically you'd do circuits of maybe 30 seconds on 30 seconds off or 40 on 20 off if he was feeling particularly <laughs> dickheadish on a given day yeah. um, I remember how much he was hated because do you remember we finished the sessions in pre-season and the backs would finish and they're right, forwards, get your food, scrub condition. You know, <laughs> the collective role. It was, this is so shit. It yeah. was genuinely such a shock to the system at the start. Like, it was 10 minutes of really hard work. But as much as I was giving out about my shoulder before, my scrummaging, for some whatever reason, came on leaps and bounds in my last. It was the one area of my game that I felt really confident in. And it, it improved so much off the back of the work we were doing with flat. Like, we were so strong in a scrummaging position. Uh, you were under tension for such long periods that it was like it was second nature um, I don't know if you felt the same but I felt massive benefits from that definitely uh, and you know, I got I got injured quite early in that season but um, uh, the, the matches that I had been playing in I could definitely feel everyone just as a, as a unit everyone was far more cohesive yeah. and it makes complete really sense to, really well. to do scrum condition if you think about it you condition every other aspect of the game on the line it's used that drill where he blow the whistle lift the guy on the spot or whatever like so I think for years that no one was doing or we weren't doing a scrum conditioning when yeah when like as a nine we used to do drills where it's, it's a conditioning drill while, and you're passing while you're under fatigue like yeah. think about it that we never normally we, you, you just do against machine or yeah. eight on eight and you really broke it down into one v one uh, a player in your position so like I was scrummaging against mm. dunk second rows were with each other and uh, it just I'd be interested to hear what other lads think about that, but I just thought it was brilliant. It was totally new, so it was obviously for the brain. It was it was good and, and exciting and fresh that way. But from a body point of view, it was tough, but it was excellent. I really enjoyed it, and it's something I try to do now with Gary Owen. It's harder to bring it in because you've limited time with a club, but uh, I found it brilliant. Uh, yeah, kind of moving on to that, uh, you are now the assistant coach at Gary Owen. You're coaching the forwards there. Um, how are you finding that your first venture into kind of looking after a team as opposed to being part of a unit 
Um, I've loved it. Um, I've uh, learnt an insane amount. Uh, working with Conan Doyle and John Staunton, two lads that have done it for years, in in varying different capacities, and um, it's been a complete eye opener. We've gone quite well, Gary Owen. We're second in the league, chasing Donkey here and and Khan, who can't lose at the minute, but. It's just been uh, it's been so enjoyable. I've gotten my rugby fixed from it. Like I haven't missed playing at all. The only times I've actually missed playing is when I'm on the sideline and we've drilled a certain move or a certain mall and it comes off and I think, oh, I'd love to be out there now playing with these lads. But um, it, it's so different to playing, um, picking teams, uh, planning sessions, constantly on the phone to people, to the coaches, looking at clips. Um. The planning of sessions is the thing I totally uh, underestimated. Like I had to do one or two sessions there and I was like, oh Jesus, like you say five minutes for this, you feel like that's nothing. And next thing you're 15 minutes, oh Jesus, I forgot we have to move on to the next drill. Like, but you've got <laughs> none of the points that you wanted across like, yeah. in that five minutes. It's actually quite uh, hard to schedule it like. I'm lucky in the fact that I have a lovely role now where I can kind of come in and, and pick drills and the two lads are so experienced that uh, and we have Connor Cantwell who's actually in with Munster he's the S&C and he looks after the timings drives John Staunton mad he's always touching his clock but they're really experienced and they know what works they know how to time things they know from meeting your clips out onto the pitch and when to get lads away and home so it's the perfect role for an introduction into coaching and um it's it's definitely something that I, I'm considering um, moving forward. Uh, I know the fact that we've gone well has probably made me think really positively. I'm sure if we'd lost, yeah, like anything else, yeah, it? exactly. So, um, was, yeah, it some, was it something you would kind of earmark as a potential outlet? Not uh, at all, not at all. I, I was really nervous about going out there. Uh, the first day I went out there, John, they'd done a couple of weeks of preseason, and I was kind of humming and hawing about whether I get involved. I just got my shoulder done, so I was kind of enjoying chilling out with the kids, having my weekends to myself, having a few beers. Um, I just didn't want to commit to rugby again, but I went out. John had said, can you put together a couple of line-out D uh, systems? And maybe you feel the same, but I'd never taken note of line-out systems to a point. I, I knew my role inside yeah, out, yeah. <laughs> but I didn't idea, know what Billy and Paulie and Dunners were doing. I never knew like on off I just knew where I stood and I knew it inside out but I never knew like man watch system all that kind of stuff so I came out I'd been scribbling down notes we were in for a scan um, Katie was in for a scan and while I was waiting I was scribbling down notes and I thought I was all over it and I went out and he goes right Mick over to you now um, we're going to do a bit of line out D and I completely froze <laughs> like I mean I'm not exaggerating I completely froze I didn't know what to say and the lads were all looking at me and they didn't really know me they knew me because I'd been out in the club um, and they knew me from rugby but I wouldn't have had a relationship with uh, a good few of them so they were kind of looking at me oh, what's this guy's issue <laughs> so then I click in, clicked into gear and I was terrible for the first three or four weeks causing mass confusion and I was like I was really embarrassed because I was supposed to be the professional rugby player <laughs> coming out here and I eventually got on top of my detail and now we're, I'm, at a, I'm at a place now where I'm really confident in delivering my messages and knowing my detail but at the start it was a serious learning curve it's something that people underestimate a lot, I think, and I'd say a lot of ex-players, you probably underestimated how difficult it would be as well. Um, not just the technical aspect and communicating that message, but man management as well, particularly mm. at AIL level, because like if you're coaching a professional team or an academy team, everyone's there with the ultimate objective of, of playing the highest level of rugby they can play, whereas at club level, well, Division 1A in particular is a very high standard in Ireland, you have kind of people there with all sorts of motivation. Some guys want to win silverware. Some guys are there for enjoyment, really, to do it socially, and they're good enough to play at that level, so they do. Um, certain guys want to kind of drive on and, and excel more than others. So how have you found getting that balance right? It's tough, um, but I must say they're a brilliant group of lads. They genuinely are. Uh, it's easy to say that, but like we did a session there last Thursday, and the effort was just as a coach and it's it's my first coaching gig so I know I'm speaking kind of as a novice but it was an absolute pleasure like the the standard in the the drill previous wasn't great and I was annoyed but then I just saw the effort they were putting forth in this the last conditioning block and we did wrestling and you know you can you can paper over the cracks you can work on getting the skills up but like you couldn't ask for any more they were absolutely dying by the end of it and I just it's addictive I'm getting a massive rush off it and, and seeing how much effort these lads are putting in how well we're going in the league 
the potential now to possibly get into a home semi-final and final which is our goal and um, it's completely addictive lads said that to me before I got involved and they said if it goes well you know you'll, you'll be hooked on it and I didn't really think much of it but it's definitely the case the one part that I'm enjoying is the fact that as you said people are doing it for different motivations but at the end of the day they're all doing it because they play rugby for fun mm. and like yeah they want to win but they still want to win by enjoying themselves so like you know they still go and have a few drinks or whatever like and I just think especially last year when I was I was struggling not enjoying rugby uh, going back after Christmas to, it was actually I just bumped into Kenny Murphy in town at Christmas I think I'd actually had a few pints it was like two or three o'clock in the day I was in doing a bit of Christmas shopping as, last as year you, you were lippy uh, it was pissing rain and uh, he drove past me in the car and he, I didn't know was, he was there is that Doggo Williams like get a photo and I was like who's this take the piss out of me you know it was Kenny anyway and he was like jeez would you like to play like the few games out coming up would you be interested in playing and I was there ah oh. is there looking at the moment and just say, I hate rugby like so give me a give me a few weeks and I'll get back to you so I texted him then probably about a week later like but it was uh, I was delighted I did went back playing and as I said like the skill level is very good the lads are good crack they do it for all the right reasons at the end of the day they, they love rugby and they just want to go and play and they want to try and win and be the best they can be every week as well and it's just as I said playing rugby with a smile on my face which I haven't done for all of my careers particularly my professional career so I think it's been a breath of fresh air and yeah. it seems like it's the same for you it is a total breath of fresh air and it's also it's eye opening to see how good the lads are and and the commitment they have like it's phenomenal yeah, like, the lads are like gym Monday some gym Tuesday before training train Tuesday maybe gym Wednesday Thursday on the pitch again Mm. travel away like we're going to Ballon Hinch this week so I'd let them take a half day from work up on the Friday back down late on the Saturday probably a lash of drink on the bus which does help a bit like, but <laughs> it's, blow, yeah. it's, it's still a big commitment like and you know as I said they deserve to enjoy themselves for making that commitment I think the whole hot topic at the minute about the Leinster and how they're producing players and it, it's such a resource for Munster like it's we don't have 20 mini academies feeding into our Munster Academy we maybe have two or three schools that are competing with Leinster in terms of how they prepare players but Munster players develop at a slower rate because they're not doing uh, the gym they're not doing the analysis they're not doing the level of training in school so maybe when they're hitting 20 22 23 24 they're at that level then I just think it's a massive resource there is such talent in, in the league like you'd see players yeah. playing you're like who the hell is this guy and then if he got into a professional setup if he went through the the training and the conditioning and he got to a certain level there's definitely lads playing in the AL that can get uh, further their career as a professional they just need to be seen they need to keep doing what they're doing and bigger focus on it is is mm. my thoughts on it that might help kind of uh, stop this tide of oh, Leinster producing all the players in Munster and there's players in Munster they just need to, a chance to kind of show what they're I think capable of I think sometimes if like, you don't fit the profile they kind of write you off in Munster you know, if it's like if he's got a lot of tattoos or something they just kind of he doesn't look like a stereotypical rugby player so they write him off it's mm. kind of yeah, just I, I think maybe Leinster kind of more, are more embracing of that kind of philosophy. I just, I don't I don't know. I just think like I use the seven in Con for example, Ross O'Neill. He's a very good player. He's relatively young. He's twenty two, twenty three. He played Munster underage, all that kind of stuff. He actually came in the Boston trip last year, played the Leinster game, and he he was probably our best player. Um, but like I've no doubt that no one actually brought him there with the view to looking at bringing him into the system was basically because we had no like I was sent to the age of 32 it was meant to be an academy trip like we literally had no players so it was uh, Mick was meant to go but he he got a jolly over to Gloucester instead um, so like I think there you know like Ronan Keller was playing there he's on the bench for Ireland now I think mm. like I, I don't know did Munster Ronan Keller was over at that Boston trip yeah yeah, yeah. so I don't know did Munster like alright it was a lot of basically a lot of misfits sent over there but did they actually even sit down and look at him and say does this guy actually play quite decent bring him in for a couple of months he's still in college that does he happen in fairness but it just it needs to be yeah, used actually, to a greater yeah but extent. a lot of fellas they bring what are they basing though, it on like a lot of guys may, might get brought in for a pre-season but a reputation very, without having unlikely. seen them perform like, I think once I, I have a habit of bringing in lads like that for pre-season like based on a word of mouth reputation thing yeah. as opposed to seeing what they've done we've all seen lads over those pre-seasons come in that like realistically were they ever going to be able to to make it? I know there's the odd one or two, like, but I think this guy's playing for Con every week. He's performing every week. 
he went to that Boston trip performed like he's playing at the the best level he's playing in so why, why not bring him in and have a look at him and I think he's one of a load of lads in that AL that are definitely up to it yeah I think what what's missing in the discourse a lot when comparing Munster and Leinster is that in my opinion the bulk of guys that come out of a really good schools environment at Leinster they've been exposed to semi-professional level yeah. rugby already they're all private schools they're all they all have massive budgets for rugby and to compare them with guys that are coming out of secondary schools in Munster particularly in Limerick where like Camp Art School Munchens Castle Troy all public schools funding or the resources that they have are, are far far reduced mm. they're catering for other sports as well they're on a tight budget to begin with so to compare the condition particularly physical condition that guys coming out of that environment are in versus people that are essentially, as I said, in a semi-professional environment for two, if not three yeah. years, coming out of a school like Black Rock or Michaels or one of the conveyables that uh, are part of the production line for Leinster. So, like you say, Dunk, I think if guys have talent, even if they're kind of well into their early 20s, maybe up to 23, 24, yeah. even if they're identified as having talent, if they're performing very well for a team like Khan, which is pretty much the highest standard of rugby, amateur rugby you can play in the yeah. country... Um, like there seems to be very little suggestion that if they get nurtured and get exposure to a professional environment that they haven't been in before that they could potentially kick on and mm. be top class professionals as well and like you say I think it's a massive resource for Munster that's being desperately overlooked at the moment because the schools can, can compete with Leinster schools but that's not the fault of the schools so to try and rely solely on the schools and ignore the clubs which I think is happening a bit at the moment um, that's not a good way to do things and they definitely re- need to reassess the integration of the clubs and schools and what role the AIL in particular can play because I remember like you would have been the same you would have been the same when, you're, when I was in my early 20s when I was in the Sub Academy Academy I was playing every single week for Shannon mm. um, and, and that was just there was no argument about it like and there was an expectation within the academy and, and with the club that I would be available every weekend and obviously the odd time I wouldn't be but there was never um, there was never an issue of me not being released because I was being managed or anything like that uh, with a longer term goal now that maybe that wasn't the most watertight way of developing a player but I know speaking to guys in Shannon and speaking to guys in other clubs like they have guys on the books or say they've, they've guys signed to them um, who were in academies who are really promising prospects they've played under 20s with Ireland and they're heavily tipped to go on and become really good professionals but they're just not playing any club mm. rugby at the weekend so there's like they're not seeing these guys basically from one end of the season to the other and I can understand if a guy makes a step up very early and is playing routinely with Munster but that doesn't really happen um, and I think playing IL rugby just is such a, was such a huge factor mm. for me in terms of developing toughness exposure yeah. to playing with men but if you've come playing out a game every week is better than playing once every five weeks like you know yourself that you get one game and then you're out for four weeks it's hard to get a bit of rhythm and be able to perform to your best that's it like if you get the more games you play the more consistency you get it's just like people say oh you came in you got your chance you got one game yeah but to perform one game coming from not having played for the previous four weeks is hard like yeah. give me four or five games in a row and you can see what happened like exactly and, and if you're 19 and 20 all you want to do is play games yeah. really coming out of school you want to test yourself against people yeah. that are old and it's the first time in your life you're going to be playing against guys that are 25 that are 30 that have Just hundreds go, of AL caps behind them going back to your thing there about the lads coming out of Lens of schools physically developed but yeah I think they're developed physically but their skill level and their game appreciation knowledge is so much better than I think what's coming out of I think a monster um, like you even look back people are mad in the gym when they come out as young players whereas like I don't think that focuses as much on, on the skill development as I think maybe in Leinster. You know, these lads are coming out, yeah, they're physically ready, but I think they've also got the skill set and the game knowledge and appreciation to be able to, to use their attributes. They're playing a higher standard of rugby, there's no doubt about mm-hmm. it. The, the Leinster Senior Cup is an incredibly high standard of rugby. They're playing each other all year round. They're playing the best from up, up north as well. So they are physically and uh, tactically more astute. Their, their skills are better. I, I just going back to the Munster thing, it's it's monstrous point of difference the club game the strength of it the history of it it underpinned the strength of the monster team in the early 2000s all these lads came through so it's definitely our point of difference and i hope it can kind of get back to where it's really valued and uh, it plays an important role because at the minute i'm not saying it's ignored it's not but 
more can be done with it and I think everyone knows that and Munster probably know that as well and it's, it's important to get Munster players through the system and it's, they're not all going to come through the academy they're not all going to come through the school system mm-hmm. so the more effort and focus that's put on it and I'm sure there's people busting their holes inside they're trying to put effort and resources into it and it just needs to be uh, continually um, looked at and used to Munster's benefit which is what everyone wants within the province yeah, I think there's there's definitely a, there's definitely some friction between the clubs and the province. So hopefully that'll be something that particularly the new CEO um, will will work towards. I'm sure that's part of his brief. Um, before we finish up, Dunk, we're going to do the first. Are we going to talk about the Six Nations, or is that flagged to death? <laughs> that, oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. A boatload of notes about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mick, stand up performer for the last first two weeks of the Six Nations. The first two weeks, yeah. uh, individual player or team? Can be both. Um, oh, this might be a bit of a, a looking after the boys but I really thought Mar was excellent at the weekend I thought his pass had real venom in it I think he's under serious pressure mm. and I thought he played excellently I thought his tempo was very good yeah, this weekend you could tell he was previous. on the ball he was whipping out passes um, just really on top of his game and uh, I think the more he plays the more he's going to get back to that standard and look he's under massive pressure Cooney's there playing really well as well and it's a brilliant position to be in for the coaches but I thought he was excellent no, I really thought Didn't he delivered want to pick one of the French fellas who've been playing class now I think Dupont is uh, I actually watched that game last night for yeah, fear that you'd ask me a couple of, ga- a couple of <laughs> questions he's some tank he's like in everything he's nailing fellas and tackles he's poaching he's yeah. bashing fellas he's, I remember I saw him he, did he, he started with Cass and he was like 19 didn't he against Leinster I think a few years no ago, idea. and I remember thinking, I was like, "Who was this fella?" He was flattening lads. I just couldn't believe his impact on the game. Yeah, like his just everything, like his attacking appreciation was just ridiculous. And because uh, he actually did his crucial, I think that he did was playing against Ireland when he in one of his first caps. In oh, did he? Sexton yeah. got the drop goal. I think him in the ten. You should notice, maybe. <laughs> uh, but should. I remember he got injured. He was out for about a year, but then he went to Toulouse or whatever, and he's been lighting it up since. But I just think he's yeah. dick- him and your man Aldrich are unbelievable. Mm, yeah. Um, he's only like 22 or 3 as well is he Aldridge's uh, 22 yeah. Yeah. Dupont's 23 yeah, I think he's actually he's got the most he's got the most if, test yeah. caps in, the, in, in that squad no Fiku is it Fiku at 50 yeah. okay. but uh, I thought the two of them are, are phenomenal <laughs> <laughs> they've been I think they've made the biggest impact in, um, in terms of combination in the in the first two weeks so far anyway yeah agreed uh, I really hope France continue to kick on yeah. and uh, they kind of Deliver on the expectations that we have for them. What about the the Finn Russell article? Actually, we never. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can give me a, give me a breakdown of it. Uh, so basically, he came out and said that. Explained his side of the story that it was made out that he was basically on a bender for the day or all night. Did he say whatever. that he was on a big one? No, he wasn't. So he played that day. So they all met, and so he arrived to the hotel after his match himself and Maitland flew together because they played each other. And the leadership group had a meeting that day which he's actually part of, but he wasn't obviously at the meeting because he was playing. And they decided that, right, everyone could have two drinks with dinner. I don't know, was it every night or just this night? Um, and that was it. So he had his two drinks and he ordered a third. And I think they said, we've decided it's two drinks. And he was like, well, I played, I'm not training tomorrow anyway. So I think then he kind of got a bit pissed off with it. And I think he would kind of was thinking about not going to squad anyway because he hasn't been enjoying it the environment and the relation with Gregor Townsend obviously a bit strained so whatever anyway he went away and stayed went back to his parents his dad picked him up or something he went back and stayed in his parents house and then was late to training did he just have the three drinks I think so yeah like he didn't go on a big no because that's he's saying that Scotland had portrayed it that he was at a bender right. when he wasn't and that he did this he did that when actually he hadn't done any of this so whenever he rocked in late, then the next day, I think he rang said he was going to be late and whatever, and he was with a um, meeting with Townsend or whatever, and then I think he got a text then saying, oh, you're free to go home. Or I think he might have said that, look, if I'm not wanted here, I'm happy to go back to wrestling and play. Like, And I think he left me and then got a text saying, right, you can go back to wrestling. Mm. And then he hadn't heard anything, then he got a text last week saying, you're still happy to stay in wrestling or not. I wanted mm. back in the squad. So he was kind of basically just giving his side of the story saying that he still wants to play for Scotland, he loves playing for Scotland, he loves the lads he plays it, but as long as the environment is the way it is, he doesn't see himself going back to playing. I think we both want to know your take on it as opposed to our take. Yeah, my take? <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, look, I think it's interesting. He, he was kind of saying that maybe people were 
of the same opinion but don't want to speak up about it so if it is I think I know Zeebs is on Twitter trying to relate it back to his situation with Ireland <laughs> but it couldn't be further from the truth it's just desperation to stay relevant basically uh, but um, no, look, I think it's interesting I, I, I can't wait to see how it unfolds as I said he, he's, he clearly says he wants to play for Scotland and he is but it seems to be a power struggle between himself and Townsend and I don't know how how that'll pan out would be interesting to see. Yeah, it never really happened in Munster, did it? Like, if if, if a restriction was put on drinks, it was kind of adhered to. Yeah, it never we really didn't happened. have a restriction because uh, we didn't drink. Really until Rob Penny gave us a presentation on uh, yeah. drink, but rarely ever. Like, we picked our moments when yeah. we actually could. And, and you remember then Razzie brought it in that you have a drink in the dressing room after. Compulsory so drinking then yeah, after games, yeah, yeah. yeah. drinking. I just I just think like why why bother having the third drink if it's only a third drink and and you're going to go and stay at your mother's anyway? I mean like. Well, no, he ordered a third. Whether he was going to order another ten after that, I don't know. <laughs> but he had ordered his third, and that's when they. Yeah, I just think it sounds like it's being a bit clouded. Like, I if he was only going to have the third drink, then I accept that they've made it sound like. Mm. But his gripe was actually that. Sorry, I thought he was on a three. One of his, yeah, one of yeah, his things. That's, that's his problem. That it was portrayed that way, and he said that the leader, the leadership group said, "Oh, we as a leadership group made this decision." And he was like, "I'm part of the leadership group, and I wasn't in this meeting." Had right. I been in the meeting, I would have addressed it then and uh, given my word or his opinion on it. I needed myself and Archer in that leadership group. Yes, man. Yeah, two, yeah. two nodders down the yeah, corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, I think you've got to suck it up, um, would be my opinion. I mean, you're never going to get on with every coach that you have, and I think particularly in a, in a position that, if you're an old half, you're going to have a certain style that suits mm. you. Particularly a guy like Finn Russell who likes to play loose, Cipriani as well, Cooper as well, I suppose, everyone that I've Common mentioned. Team. That was his point, yeah, actually, as well. He team. said that. Townsend had a way that he wanted like uh, he wanted to kick the ball and had all these stats to back up his reasoning for wanting to kick the ball and Russell said that's not how he sees rugby that he and apparently they had a massive row in that half time of the game last year when they were getting hockeyed by England and Townsend was like kick the ball more and he was like I'm not going to kick the ball and he didn't mm, yeah. and they actually came back and drew the game so I think um, it's kind yeah. of been ruined since then really I suppose it's hard for it's hard for me to relate as a hooker. I mean, very little, very little that you can argue with a coaching uh, team about when I it comes never, to your particular um, role. Could never see myself like taking on a coach in that way, or mm. like it's just completely alien. Maybe it's just the environment we were brought up in, or whatever. But I can't ever see maybe attain compared to hooker. Like you're saying, you're not really involved in the in the tactics of the team. Yeah. But your main gripe is Zebes. Huh? Your main gripe is Zebes. <laughs> Twitter is infuriating me at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and you, we don't worry. You text me about them before, is it? Not this tweets. one, not this one. Yeah, yeah, previous. Yeah, he's a bit annoying on Twitter. I won't lie. Yeah. So we were thinking of doing a segment, making my pivot to contribute to this. Um, obviously, since I retired, the position as the best comb over in professional rugby, uh, I have to give my mantle to someone else. Of you, anyone that you want to throw forward? Uh, played with or don't have to have played with. Bitter, think right? a comb over. Well, are you still classifying yours as a comb over, or are we? Yeah, it's graduated yeah. to a patch. Yeah. No, it's a comb over. Yeah. <laughs> comb over. I don't know. There's no one that stands out for a comb over. So you're telling me I still have the mantle even though I'm retired? Would he? I wave. I wave more here than him. Uh, JJ was the obviously one that you saw was slagging. Killer. That, that picture of killer, which um, killer. which I assume. Um, Fiona or whoever put up that picture got an awful earful um, yeah he hides it very well I was quite shocked to see that one um, did one Robbie Henshaw get an all transplant I thought there at the weekend it looked like he had a lot thicker hair than been out for a while with his thumb wink wink yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah I'm not sure um, Yeah, I, no no other comb overs really come to mind to be honest at the moment He's the only one fighting the good fights all for yeah. 10 years for that. <laughs> let me hang, hung me out the dry there. You might, um, might have to edit this out, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> didn't, go, didn't go according to plan. <laughs> Are we doing have uh, I, show, have uh, I come up? That? That's Andy yeah, Good. I, I took it off him. Yeah. <laughs> it's Andy Good. I actually took it off him. Duncan might finish up with a segment that we had slated to potentially happen. You see, CJ was talking in the media during the week about, or yeah, last week about um, about abuse that he was getting online when the team were performing badly. You're no stranger to online abuse. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've had, I would say, 
more far more than your fair share of online abuse over the years. Larry did a bit of research, I believe, over the weekend as well. And <laughs> That's right about certain, yeah. about a certain someone. But uh, it has made for some uh, kind of entertaining encounters that you have with people, or non-encounters, or near encounters when it yeah, actually comes yeah. to being face to face with them. Would you like to? We might do this a few times over the course of the yeah. weeks. But if you'd like to give us one run through, um, no names. No names or names? I think no names is probably safer. Let's call this... Let him, let him okay, loose. first person, X O'Brien. Sorry, we call him Nick Boy. Um, <laughs> yeah, he's, so he's get a, get a few tweets off him, abuse me. And uh, I remember one day we were actually in Nando's with the lads in Man Point. And uh, I was sitting there eating my food and I was like, I recognise this fella. And then I was like, oh, that's who it is. That's him anyway. So <laughs> what, ca- what kind of stuff have you been saying? Ah, basically calling me useless... Uh, yeah basically that shit like um, but so he was there with his like kids and everything like and I was thinking this fella has some neck like I hope his kids never grow up wanting to actually A play rugby and B if they're good enough that they get picked to play for the team that they all support and they're younger and have some fella like him sitting there on the keyboard so and, uh, I was eating the food anyway and I just kind of looked up and he he spotted me obviously as well and he was walking up like to get the sauce and Nando's you know so he's literally walking with his mouth open <laughs> Staring at me all up, he nearly tripped over chairs and everything. Look at me, got the sauce, came back, mouth open, all the way back down to the seat again. But I was, I was actually thinking of getting up, like, and just going over and like whispering in his ear, like, what, what I thought of him, like, and I was there, because then no one would know what I said or no one I could just deny that it ever happened, like. But uh, yeah, so I actually, actually another one, not different person, but this one is actually quite funny. So this person's father passed away, and she tweeted. that her father passed away and on his, his last words in his deathbed was that Duncan Williams is a terrible box kicker. Oh I was like, your father's just passed away yet you feel that this is worthwhile tweeting. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, a, that's a funny one though. <laughs> Jesus. I think I was actually tagged in that one as well. It wasn't like... Yeah, thankfully I never got too much abuse online. Um, any abuse that I got tended to be related to my political opinions more so. Um... I gave plenty calls now on at various times for abuse online with regard to with regard to throwing like yeah it must have been an interesting week for you I know we're wrapping up we probably don't have enough time but uh, must have been very interesting the election yeah actually yeah I was tallying yeah which was uh, the first time I was at a count centre which was quite entertaining um, it's pretty cool actually seeing it all in action to be honest and happy uh, happy with the results yeah excited about uh, what it might bring so it'll be an interesting couple of weeks so looking forward to see how it plays out. So, yeah, I think that's about all we've got time for, lads. Uh, Mike, thank you very much for joining us. The very best of luck with Great having you. P- progression in your coaching career and, uh, and developing your continued nursing of the shoulder. Thanks, lads. Appreciate it. And um, regaining the muscle mass in your ears. Yeah, it's back to <laughs> a good condition now. Thanks. Appreciate it. Don't good to see you. Yeah. Chat to you again next week. Same time next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.